Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Even in the context of the letter of joy, as we've been calling uh, St Paul's letter to the Philippians over this sermon series. Um, St Paul places particular emphasis in our reading this morning on joy and rejoicing and on living the Christian life in all of its beautiful possibilities. As in each one of the tiny Christian communities, it's probably a bit too early really to refer to them as churches, but to each one of the communities to whom Paul wrote in his correspondence that's come down to us in, in the New Testament canon. There are, however, things in Philippi that are not quite happening as they should, and which have come to the ears of Paul, even though he's several hundred miles away under house arrest, most likely in Rome. I guess maybe we are kidding ourselves if we think there's a church, or maybe even churches, out there that have it all completely sussed. That every member is extraordinarily prayerful and gracious, generous, courageous. That they all volunteer for multiple ministries without even having to have their arm gently twisted by the vicar. That uh, they are a model congregation. I think we're kidding ourselves if we think there are those out there. Maybe there are some here. But here in this morning's passage, we see a couple of the early believers who Paul obviously knew by name, presumably from his time uh, that he spent in the city of Philippi several years previously, who don't seem to be able to see eye to eye. We're not given any details about what uh, their dispute is about, but presumably it must have been reasonably significant if the report of it has reached Paul's ears. But quite simply, uh, Euodia and Syntyche seem to have had a falling out over something. Paul, for whom one of the most important elements of the early church was the way in which it showed to the world a unity, is grieved that these two women have fallen out. And the news of this has even arrived on his very distant doorstep. But he responds to them in this letter in a way that's in many respects um, both typical of the detail of his correspondence and also uh, of his um, high-level worldview, if you like. Because if we look closely at what Paul directs Euodia and Syndicate to do, he doesn't get embroiled in the detail of whatever it is that they're disagreeing about. And in fact, we don't actually know what it is they're disagreeing about because Paul doesn't mention it. He doesn't address the situation in that way. But rather, he uses a very Pauline turn of phrase, uh, one that Annie, when she was uh, preaching to us a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, referred to uh, quite, quite winningly. She said, Therefore, Paul does lots of therefores, and as Annie said, what's it, therefore? Um, he guides his readers back 
to what he'd written in the previous paragraph at the end of chapter 3, the start of our reading, um, about the difference between the pagans, amongst whom the Philippian Christians had to live their lives, that was the, the environment in which um, they existed, and those followers of Jesus Christ themselves. Whilst for the pagans, as Paul writes, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. For the Christians, on the other hand, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul deals with even the smallest problem, this little argument between these two believers, these two women, by bringing the whole sweep of creation and eternity to bear on that situation. He says, remember these things, and he goes straight into that big stuff, if you like. Doesn't get stuck in the detail, he goes, um, goes, goes right to the, to, the, to the maximum in how he responds to them and gives them advice. He starts by saying to these two women, remember where you're from. As followers of Jesus Christ, you are citizens of heaven. Lift up your hearts, lift up your eyes, lift up your thoughts, see the big picture. Whereas all the other inhabitants of Philippi around you, well, they're all obsessed with Roman citizenship. Lots of them would have been ex-soldiers. That's how Philippi was, uh, was established. A whole load of um, uh, legions that were uh, demobbed at the end of um, uh, a, um, uh, an internal uh, war within the Roman Empire. They were, they were demobbed to Philippi and told, you can have citizenship, you can have some land, go settle there. So the concept of Roman citizenship was really, really important to the citizens of Philippi. In contrast to that, for you Christians, you gain your meaning, you gain your perspective in life from your starting point in Christ. What an extraordinary way for Paul to respond to this situation and for us too, encouraged by Paul's example to do the same in our lives. When we encounter our day-to-day -day problems as we all do, whether they're big or they're small, what difference might it make to our perspective on that immediate situation and the way in which we respond to it by first taking this eternal perspective as a citizen of heaven, which we all are as believers in Jesus Christ. How might it make some issues in our lives seem so much smaller, so much less pressing? How might it enable us to live in greater freedom in Christ and through Christ? in the whole of our lives, trusting that whatever the immediate challenge may be, our good God has his hand over our lives and we can hand things over to him. Things like, for instance, the weather forecast for yesterday's dog show, knowing that God has an eternal perspective on such matters and the BBC app 
does not have a monopoly of meteorological truth. I think there was an awful lot of looking at it during the week preceding, and there was an awful lot of prayer. Um, but joking aside, um, much as we prayed God would have his hand on a window in the rain yesterday morning. Um, it was good to pray for that, as we pray for so much else in our lives. There is a joy in letting go and letting God, so to speak, uh, in an act of trust in Him. So having explored thoroughly the before the therefore, so to speak, we can now refer, uh, return to what Paul therefore encourages the Philippians to do. And it is this. In his words, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. There are strong echoes here of Paul's language and his message in chapter 6 of his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, in which he encourages them to put on the full armour of God against the enemy's schemes, contending, as he writes, in the cause of the gospel. We can have confidence in the hope we have in Jesus as God equips us with all that we need to follow him in the fight, individually and collectively. The belt of truth, as Paul writes, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of gospel readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, God's word. Stand firm in the Lord and seeing ourselves as citizens of heaven. Strong echoes as well in those two of the famous hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And also of Christ's um, exhortation to Peter in St Matthew's Gospel, as, as Peter, uh, the disciple, tries to follow his master's lead by walking on the water, walking on the sea of Galilee, he first trusts, believes, and floats, suspended on the water, and then fearfully hesitates and starts to sink, if you remember the story. Joy, albeit momentary, in Trusting to such an extent in Jesus that the impossible, apparently, becomes possible. So returning to the Philippines, Paul firstly exhorts his brothers and sisters to turn their eyes from the details of the day-to-day -day as they seek to navigate through those tricky waters, but to know instead that in Christ, they and we are citizens of heaven who have the assurance of eternal life and a godly perspective on all that they and all that we encounter. Secondly, with humble confidence in Christ's goodness and power, we're able to stand firm, as Paul says, and contend in unity for the gospel. And thirdly, Paul exhorts his Philippian friends 
his words, not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Not being anxious, but rather allowing the peace of God, he writes, which transcends all understanding, to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For some of us, not being anxious isn't straightforward. And what I'm sharing this morning in no way uh, is meant to belittle what can be uh, very challenging, very debilitating for those whom it impacts. But for others of us, the sort of anxiousness to which Paul refers absolutely can be aided and indeed healed by the Holy Spirit working in us. As with Peter on the water, anxiety can cause us to take our eyes off Jesus and to seek to live from our own resources. Rather, Paul encourages us to pray and to be thankful and in so doing receive the extraordinary peace of God which transcends all understanding, going beyond anything we in the human can comprehend. God's peace that, in the words of the theologian F.F. Bruce, God's peace is joy resting, just as, reciprocally, his joy is peace dancing. Joy in trust. Joy in trust that comes from seeing ourselves as citizens of heaven. Joy in trust that comes from standing firm on the promises that Jesus has made to each one of us who follow him. And joy in trust that comes through not being anxious about anything as we pray and give thanks in every situation. If I may, I'll bring what I have to say this morning to a close by sharing a personal experience of how prayer and thanksgiving Trusting God over really quite a long period of time brought me to a place of joy in Jesus once again. Many of you will know that I spent half a dozen years living and working abroad. I worked for British Telecom, first in Italy and then in Latin America, in Brazil. Not that long before I was accepted to train for ordained ministry, what I do now, of course, um, and also before I knew Claire. At the end of my three years or so in Brazil, I was asked by some senior colleagues back in head office to return to London, where I'd been, uh, where I'd lived, where I'd worked previously, and take on a, uh, a really quite high pressure role for which they thought I was well qualified but which I knew absolutely I was not. It also, this particular role they wanted me to fulfil, involved making redundant a large number of the Italian finance team, 
with whom I had worked, for whom I had been responsible for three years, and for whom I had then and still do have great affection and respect. Not comfortable at all. Some of you also may have heard of a, a phenomenon called reverse culture shock um, that can happen to people when they've lived abroad, as I have for an extended time, very commonly with a, an international business, international organisation, go abroad and then return to where they were previously, exactly as I had done. You know, it's a recognised uh, phenomenon amongst psychologists. And it felt to me, um, everything looked pretty much the same. I'd been away for six years, but I came back to my old flat. Um, and uh, it was as if everything had tilted by sort of half a degree. It was, it was as though the ground I was walking on suddenly wasn't stable anymore. It was so disconcerting. Superficially identical. In practice, just very, very different. And so the combination of this culture shock and the horrible role that I'd been asked to fulfil and the fact that, quite frankly, I was completely jiggered after working my socks off for six years abroad, um, plus additional personal complications, all of that conspired to make me hit the buffers. Blessedly, my immediate boss was amazing. And so I was able to take time away from work, to rest, to receive support and start to heal. But for several months, for all that I prayed, and I prayed an awful lot, uh, for all that I prayed to be well again, for life to make sense again, and that God would make his plans for me known to me, all of that was very unclear. But then one beautiful June morning, without a cloud in the sky, I kicked myself that I never took a note of the actual date, but I have a, an incredibly clear um, mental picture of this morning, this moment. That June morning, I walked my regular path um, along a gravel drive, big hedges to either side, and I was praying and praying as I always did. But everything changed as instantly as if a switch had been flipped. And I'm as certain as I've ever been about anything why my life took on a completely different direction from that point. I didn't just say, Lord, help me in my prayers, but I changed it around. And I very consciously said, Lord, Thank you. Thank you for all the blessings that you have given me. I know life is tough right now, but I choose to thank you and to trust that the plans that you have for me are good. And from that moment on, my life took a very different trajectory. Not long after I was accepted to start the discernment process towards accepted for ordination training. I started volunteering in what then became my, uh, the church I was attending at the time, but it became my sponsoring church for my training. Um, 
and I also met Claire. And the rest, as they say, is very much history. But a hugely significant moment in my life as a consequence of saying thank you before everything else, just coming to God and saying, life is tough at the moment, but I know that you have blessed me, you bless me now and you will continue to bless me. I trust in you. Remember we've talked about joy not being like happiness, it's not defined by our circumstances, but it rests in Jesus Christ, it rests in the eternal hope that we have in and through him. And that moment of thanks was an acknowledgement of that trust in God and that resting in joy, regardless of the circumstances around it. I hope it was okay to share that with you and I hope it may have been of use to you. I'll gather us together once again with a a summary, if you like, of what I've said. May each one of us know more closely this day and every day the joy in trust that comes from seeing ourselves as citizens of heaven. I pray that we will know more closely this day and every day the joy in trust that comes from standing firm on the promises that Jesus has made to each one of us who follow him. And I pray too that each one of us will know the joy in trust that comes through not being anxious about anything, as Paul writes, as we pray and as we give thanks in every situation. And may the love and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ as we seek to bring him and uh, his kingdom, his joy, his peace and his love to our churches and our communities. Lord, I pray that you will be with us as we do that, that you will fill us with your spirit and that we will share your good news, your joy, with courage, with wisdom, and with love. In your mighty and holy name we pray.